Hey everyone, Zach here with a really quick note before we get started. I just wanted to let you know that tickets are now available to the Author Life Summit taking place September 10th and 11th in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. This conference is hosted by myself and Jay Thorne, and there are only 50 tickets total available. Yeah, 50. So you're going to want to jump on this now. We have great guest speakers, including Becca Syme, J.D. Barker, Mark Leslie Lefebvre, and so many more. So look for the link down in the show notes to purchase your ticket today, or you can visit theauthorlife.com slash summit 2022. Thanks and enjoy today's episode. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dave, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. I really, I know you're a busy guy. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and spend some time with me. So um, yeah, I really, I really appreciate it. So you have, how many kids do you have? I have three. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they got, thought- it's, it's quite the range. I've got a 22 year old, a 10 year old and an eight year old. Oh, wow. So you, you really do. You really do have the range there. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like, I went through one generation, I went back and started over again. So, you know, it's like, I'm learning from my mistakes uh, the first time, you know, but luckily that, that, that my baby girl turned out excellent. So hopefully I'll do even better the next time. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's my, my little girl is seven. So um, very cool. It's a, it's, it's a fun age for sure. So I don't know what it's like to have a 22 year old yet, but well, you it's know. great when she can go get you liquor for uh, for your birthday. There you go. That's a, that's a really good way to look that's, at it. That's right. I taught her so well. I'm not gonna lie. I um last year when it when it was my birthday, uh, she knows which bourbon I like the most, and so she would go to the to the liquor stores. Now, when it comes to finding rare bourbon, it's it's really hard because they'll hide them in the back. They don't put yeah. them on the shelf. So she goes up and she knows the deal. You know, she knows the stick. She goes, hey, uh, what kind of bourbon you got in the back? They'd be like, oh, we got none. She would obviously be like, oh, it's my dad's birthday today. And like, are, are you sure you don't? And she started listening to a couple. She's like, if you have one of those, that would just make my day. Sure enough, they go in the back and come out with it. She's like, yes. So then she'd go to another liquor store. She did it again. Uh, this time, though, they were literally said, okay can you send me a picture of his ID, like proof that it is his birthday today? And she's like, yeah, dad, picture of your ID. Sends it over. Sure enough, I had like best birthday present. I was like, I'm so proud of you. Well, I have to ask what bourbon it is. <laughs> well, she got two Blantons and she got a uh, Elijah Craig toaster barrel, nice. um, which I, I think the toaster barrel is excellent. Um, I wouldn't say they're my absolute favorite, but she did good by by kind of throwing those names out you know when when because you can't just ramble all through them you know yeah she just she chose wisely that's awesome i've it's funny i uh 
like I know we're both from the Nashville area. So um, have you been, what's the name? They just, the the new liquor, it's pretty new that opened in Brentwood, like off Franklin Road. Um, it's basically like walking into a grocery store. I, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Total Wine. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Total yeah, Wine is good. Yeah, it's, dude, That I, I went there a couple weeks ago and uh, I was just like, holy crap. There's, a yeah. lot, there's an awesome selection in there. They had like, I was just looking around the bourbon and whiskey and was just like, oh my God. Yep, it's it, something. It, it was awesome. Now is your, um, one of your kids, it's your middle child, I believe, right, is working with you, correct? With your company? She, yeah. So my oldest and my middle, my middle okay. just started. Uh, see my, my, Middle child grew up watching Jay, the oldest one, always work on the business. And, you know, it was kind of finding the, the right thing for her to be able to do. And so this, this allowed for her to see, you know, that the, um, that it's kind of a family business, that there's an opportunity for her to do this. And it's kind of funny, you know, that listeners won't be able to see this, but every time she's like, yeah, so I can go downstairs and do the thing, you know, and it's, and <laughs> To describe what I just did was she point she puts her little fingers out and she just kind of like just bobs them left and right, imitating what it would be like typing, you know. So it's it's her way of you know to do the thing, and um, so it's absolutely adorable. But it's it's really cool to have them all have that sense of they can if they want to, and there's opportunities for them. That's awesome, man. So how long have you, like, I'm, I'm trying to think back, like I've, so I've been in the whole like publishing indie world since 2014. Um, and I feel like you've been around about the whole time. I like when I'm trying to remember when your company started. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I don't remember when it started. Um, <laughs> I think, so I started really looking into online marketing and SEO and websites and all the things, yeah. uh, probably back in around 2012. And I started really building out niche websites. And I, I published, I think, my first book in 2013. And I think I was starting Kindlepreneur, uh, one of my large sites, um, around that same time, because it was kind of like chronicling as you went. Um, I don't think Kindlepreneur really started to take off or become popular until maybe 2014, 2015. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was really popular. It's just people, you yeah, know, would you come across getting it. Consistent traffic and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and then from there, it's, you know, it's just grown over time. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading it back, back in like around that time, probably around 2015 or so. And, <laughs> Very uh, cool. you know, so, uh, I, I need, I knew you'd been around for a minute and, uh, and, uh, I mean, obviously I've like grown into doing all kinds of awesome stuff. I mean, I tell everybody, you know, there's, there's, there's a few tools that I just think everybody needs that is, is in this. And I mean, uh, KDP rocket is definitely one of them. <laughs> um, or, or, I'm sorry, publisher rocket. My bad. I use the old name. <laughs> yep. No, um, but, hey, yeah. you're showing the old school there. See, That's there right. you go. <laughs> For the listeners. Yeah. We called it originally KDP rocket. And then, um, the key was we started working with a bunch of like other publishers beyond Amazon. And so we thought, mm, you know, Barnes and Noble has kind of given us the, yeah. the, the thumbs down because our name is KDP rocket. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like having to give your sister a hug or something like that. They're, eh. They were not <laughs> down for that. So the name, the pivot to publish a rocket was, you know, one of those smarter marketing moves and kind of help them get to the table and talk to us more. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, ha- have you run into the same thing with Kindlepreneur? Have, have you had like issues with that as well? Or not really, because with Kindlepreneur, I don't have to work with the other groups, yeah, right? Um, sense, yeah. We just write whatever is there. Um, luckily, you know, Amazon, like I didn't know this, but, you know, Amazon, um, uh, you know, they have a trademark on the word Kindle. And I yeah. get that. So, I mean, they could technically come after me for it. But the good news, though, is Amazon has consistently promoted Kindlepreneur.com and even called me the Kindlepreneur publicly. So, I mean, you know, if they came after me, I like, what would I do? But it would be kind of fun to be like, hey, just a heads up. But you guys weren't worried about confusing your customers. You were pointing that out. You're, you're yeah. calling me the Kindlepreneur here. <laughs> um, not that that would that would do well. And I'm sure they would love sit in court but just saying <laughs> it's like one of those things so i mean do you have a relationship with the people there no okay um i i i know they read my stuff that's for sure because like i said uh their kdp um amazon facebook page has promoted a lot of my articles over time also too like a while ago i wrote an article on fiction keywords And I broke fiction keywords down into five categories. And it was like two weeks later after publishing that Amazon promoted the article and said, go there to learn how to optimize for more sales. And then it was another week later. And I saw that they changed their FAQ to reflect my five categories and a (laughs) breakdown on it. I'm like, okay, they're using my content to write their FAQ section. Like, all right. And they did it on another um, article as well. So I mean, we don't, we don't talk, but it's, it's nice to see, you know, uh, them using my, my, uh, information as a way to explain on their website. So, yeah. And that, that was a, I mean, I remember that article you're referring to, cause I think it was around that time when I met you in person, I think, I can't remember if it was around that time. Cause I remember I you talking was, yeah. about that. And then, um, and then of course you, you, uh, spoke for the, uh, career author summit that Jay and I did in 2020, which was all virtual. And I think you talked about it there as well. Um, and it's, yeah, like that's, uh, when I am, I, I mean, I use that method too, when I'm doing my keywords or when I'm working, uh, with clients and helping like doing launch consulting and stuff like those are the questions I ask when I'm doing my keywords and, uh, yeah. obviously to use, uh, use publisher rocket. So, um, yeah, I, I was, uh, yeah. Cause I was wondering like, um, the part of the reason I asked about your, if you had a relationship with, with Amazon was cause I always kind of wondered like what it would, like how they would feel about you, like essentially scraping their data. I mean, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that with, with publisher rocket, we've really gotten into anal- like more so, especially over the past year, we've gotten into analyzing Amazon and their servers and well, their data, and we've been investing a lot in big data and um, machine learning as well. So I, I, I've, I'm very excited about the kind of information we'll be able to publish here later, just kind of giving authors a better understanding of what's going on and what's happening. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think that they have any reason to be angry or that there's no reason uh, to actually like it because smarter artists, you know, help them too. Uh, yeah. you know, um, the authors that are going to take the time to really learn are probably the authors that write really good books, you know, that are going to really analyze for this. And at the same time too, um, you know, that, that just makes the Amazon community better as well. So I think in the end, I think it's one of those things where you're just like, eh, probably helps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and 
obviously, you know, you have the, you have the AMS keyword generator and stuff on there for ads and all that, which is again, like that's going to help them out because it's going to help people run ads and like, encur- oh, yeah. it basically encourages them to, you know, yeah, exactly. Not to yeah, mention I, your the keyword tool. I mean, will help people sell more books, and if more books are selling, then Amazon's making more money. So, um, exactly. Yeah, I just I know they're really weird about their data and stuff. So I always just kind of wondered, like, if they ever waved a finger about that or anything. But but that makes sense, you know. Yep. Now, like, we're going backwards a little bit. I, I am kind of curious, like how how did you get in? Like, what? How did you come up with that tool? Like, what was like, and you know, where did you even, do you have a background in programming and stuff or did you just see a need and like find the people to help you build it? Or like, what was kind of deal with that? Yeah, sort of the latter. Um, so maybe what was that? Five, six, seven years, <laughs> somewhere in there, maybe yeah. six years ago. I that think. sounds about right. Um, I think I started working on it seven years ago. Uh, the key was, is that on Kindlepreneur, uh, I wrote this article on keywords and way back then, by the way, the word keyword was like a foul word in the in the writer community because uh, a lot of you know around that time or maybe a couple of years before a lot of people found out that oh keywords can be this magic you know and that all you have to do is write a hundred books and use magical keywords and you're going to make lots of money and then they sold these courses on how to do it and so it started to become sort of like the scammy topic if you said the word keywords you know in in author communities back then people would like grab you know torches and pitchforks and run you out of the the facebook group um and so i was like but here's the thing though there's something here and so like i remember stressing out so hard over that article on how to choose your keywords uh because i didn't want to write something that sounded spammy but i wanted to really be very systematic and approachable so if somebody read the article they wouldn't like you know there was no way that they could attack because they could see, oh, wow, that's informational. That's actually useful. That's not conjection. It's not opinionated. It's not, you know, he wrote, like he actually kind of backed up everything he said. Um, so that was the first start. And at the time, there was really only two tools, two tools out there. One was called Kindle Samurai and the other was Katie Spy. And uh, Kindle Samurai was the better one in my mind back then. And it had a much better system for keywords. Um, You know, the way that Katie Spy would do it was they were like, oh, look, we just looked at all the words that these books use for their title and subtitle. And we made a little density cloud of some of the words. So there's some keywords you could choose. And I was like, so I always focused on Kindle Samurai and because it was designed to pull keywords. The problem with Kindle Samurai was it only worked on PC. It did not work on Mac. And uh, the creator, Ariel Sanders, who's a great guy, uh, I've talked with him many times since, um, he's, just, he's just a programmer. He's not in the uh, author community. And so what he does is he builds a whole bunch of, of software. He's always coming out with new software for every industry you can think of. Builds it real quick, puts it up on a landing page, and then sells it and moves on to the next project. Well, he had done this with Kindle Samurai, and it was breaking. It happened. Some of the features weren't working. More features every other month were not working, and he wasn't coming back to fix it. All you do is just lower the price, because it's like, well, if it's like, you know, if it's ten bucks, you know, like, are you going to really fight it? And he also is Israeli, so he didn't speak English very well, so there was no support. So here I was. I created this entire article showing people how to use Kindle Samurai, which only half my readers could even use. And by the way, it was breaking. <laughs> it's like I'm recommending this thing that. It's just barely alive. And it's like, so 
I thought to myself, and I could see, I had an affiliate link to it. So I could see how many sales a, a day that I was making of this thing. I was like, you know, if I could make Kindle Samurai, but make all the features work and make it work for Mac and PC, there's no way I can't double the sales I'm already doing. And oh, by the way, there's a lot of things that I'd like to change uh, to make this better and easier. And so I knew at that moment that I had to find programmers. Uh, at the time, I was actually stationed in Sri Lanka, of all places. I was working, <laughs> working for the U.S. Embassy there. Got connected with a bunch of people, uh, found a bunch of programmers that I was actually really able to like sit down and work with. Um, so I wasn't like hiring some no-name person on the other side of the world, hoping that they put it together. There's a lot of nightmares that happen from that. Uh, I can go down that path, but there's a lot of nightmares that can happen. Uh, so I worked with, I, I got lucky. I was able to work with a genius level programmer and <laughs> you can tell it's the right kind of programmer when they don't really care about the money, but the idea of hacking Amazon, as he put it was like, Ooh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm interested. You know, like when it's the challenge is more so than the payoff or something. And so him and I worked together, uh, built rocket and, uh, was just absolutely enthused. But the biggest thing, though, is, is that I learned once I launched this project product, which did extremely well right out of the gates, was, oh, boy, I need to learn software. I need to learn the business of software because I want to keep improving and adding to this. And, you know, one genius programmer is worth 100 average programmers. And so, like, how do you find the right programs? How do you know if you have the right programmers? How do you build a programming team? So since then, I've actually invested uh, to, to be an owner in a one-third one stake of a software development company. I've spent a lot of time learning the business of software. I don't know how to code anything, but I know how to lead teams. Um, I understand the structures, the communication lines. Uh, since then, I've actually I've built multiple software companies beyond just Rocket as well. Um, so yeah, so it was like all of a sudden, it was like a gateway to a whole new thing. So it's been absolutely fun. That's awesome. And it's, it's been really cool just to see it continue to grow, especially with Atticus now, which, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and uh, it's, it's just, and, and, and seeing, you know, KDP rocket keeps, I keep saying that publisher rocket, I got to get out of my 2016 brain uh, <laughs> publisher rocket. Uh, you know, you guys are still adding features and it just continues oh, yeah. to be a better and better and better and better product, you know? And uh, yeah. And it's every time it updates, I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And it's also something I'm not paying a subscription on. So that's, yep. <laughs> that's, that's and nice. not having to pay for the updates. I, I like to run my software companies. Like I wish software companies would run, you know, I hate when they improve themselves and they make me pay for it again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also tell my support team, uh, rule number two for them is default to generosity. So, you know, just, uh, if people need to put on another machine, you know, go ahead. Like, you know, it's just, and I personally hate subscriptions. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you're on the line. I have to be like fully in love with this thing and use it all the time in order to be okay with a subscription. Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing about writing is we come and go in seasons. Um, you know, it, it's more or less like, that's the thing with like Atticus too. Like who wants to pay a subscription to then put all your books on something? It's like, then it's like, it holds all your data, you know? Yeah. So Needless to say, I really love to, to run my companies as I wish companies would be run. Another one of my rules, too, that I use with my team is the ABBA rule. Always be adapting. Um, you know, always find a way to make it better and to prove on it. Doesn't matter if you have, if you're top of the market or not, always be adapting. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah. So like, um, I mean, we brought it up so we can just talk about it now. Cause I want, I want to, but like, uh, Atticus, uh, I mean, so, uh, I will admit I am, I'm not a user yet. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it. Um, yeah. you know, I, uh, I have a, I have a lifetime subscription to another formatting service and I know, yeah. uh, and I'm also really deep into Scrivener. So, yeah. um, but, but I think, but I think what I can, I can see at least on paper. I mean, I'm not going to say I can see your vision, but, uh, I, I, I could, I could see where things are going with it. And I think it's going to, it's eventually going to be the right tool for me to replace everything. Like I'm, yeah. I'm really hopeful for that. And knowing like what you just said, how you're committed to just keeping making things better. Um, like I'm really excited for it. So like, how have you felt so far just about how that launch has gone and, and, and the reaction to it and everything so far? Yeah, well, just to kind of give the, the listeners a bit of background on it. Yeah. So um, Atticus is currently um, a, a way of formatting your books into EPUB and to PDF. That's for eBooks and for physical books, print on demand. Um, we originally launched it with the idea because there's another formatting software. There's actually, there's lots of formatting there's software several, out there. Yeah. But the most popular one of all is Vellum and Vellum is, is that by any chance the one you use or is it a different one? Yeah, no, it's, it's Vellum. It's Vellum. There you go. And I'm a Mac user. So, so here's the, which is where you're going. It's like the opposite problem of what you're talking about earlier with uh... Exactly. (laughs) So Vellum did a great job of building an intuitive uh, software to help anybody be able to format a ebook and a physical print book. The problem, though, was that it only works on Mac. So if you're on a PC, you either a and no kidding, people love that software so much. Oh, yeah, I know they would either buy a used Macintosh or they would pay Mac for Mac and cloud just to be able to kind of sync over and use it on their PC. And that still caused problems like it was not a solution. But that's how different Vellum was from everybody else. So we started, and I'll get to the real purpose of Atticus, but we started by saying, you know what, if I could build Vellum, okay, build something like Vellum that gives you that intuitive, easy to use, see your book before you uh, format, but I can make it work on every computer, not just Mac, okay? So on your Chromebook, on your iPad, on um, on your Windows, on your Linux, and I could also make it uh, over $100 cheaper. Well, I think that's a really good start, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of a, but it's not just that. There's a lot of things that I've wanted Vellum to do for a very long time. Um, one of the big areas that we're going to be coming out with very soon is literally taking care of the nonfiction writers out there. Uh, Vellum just doesn't do anything nonfiction. Um, and, you know, there's the end notes, footnotes um, to um, kind of the call out boxes. Um, and there's just all these other things. And so there's a huge area that we can we can take care of. That's half the market already. So you got one half between PC and Mac, another half between fiction and nonfiction. And so we said, all right, we'll start there. But the real vision and goal and we by the way we built the entire system with this in line okay is that as an author you know i asked myself a while ago what exactly is book writing software okay it's not 
when you think about writing a book, it's not just writing the book, okay? Some authors plot, they plan, they outline, then they write, then they collaborate with editors, and then they format all of those things, and, and maybe not all of them, some of those things at least, but it's more than just writing. All those things come together to make a book. Most authors, myself included, prior to Atticus, would, I used uh, Scrivener. I actually like their plotting. Uh, some people hate it. I, I like I it too. I, like I it liked too. it, right? Yeah. Um, and by the way, mine's the, um, my favorite. And that's the other thing that, so let me also put my caveat on Scrivener though. Scrivener, I love, I've used since 2007. Uh, I wrote my master's thesis on the thing way back in the day. Um, so I've used it for, what is that, like 15 years? Um, I still paid for a $200 course on how to use it. And I still think maybe I only use one third of it. I yep. think it's it's not exactly the most intuitive software, but there's cool. I don't remember what it is. It's not the the note cards. It's the other one. What's that? The outliner, I think it's called. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of it. I think it's called something like that. Yeah, something like that. I use that one. So I'll use that to, uh, to outline. Uh, then I'll write in Scrivener. But when the time comes that I need to work with my editor, I have to export it out of Scrivener and put it into a Word document. Then I have to email back and forth with the editor. Now, I would love it if an editor would let me do Google Docs because I would prefer real time because one of the biggest issues I've had working with an editor is that after I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, I don't ever delete any copies of those back and forth versions. And so I end up with seven or eight files by the end of it that say final in some variety like final it's annoying i have a similar thing all caps final this is the final stupid like i literally (laughs) have all of them right and then finally no pun intended i will then have to upload said final copy into a formatter like judo or vellum and make the book the way i want okay but you don't store things in vellum and so one of the problems that i'd have is that when i was done with the book i would have some dropbox file that had what I think is the final copy in Word, then the EPUB and the Mobi, uh, you know, but way back in the day, the Mobi and the PDF. And that was it. And there, there's my book, right? Well, what would happen if say I got like one month later, I found, oh man, I had some spelling mistakes in that book that somehow me and the editor missed. Now, what do you gotta do? Re-upload it to Vellum, restart over, you know, start with that, that file, find it like that's one of my biggest annoyances yeah right is what you just said yeah and that was the thing so it wasn't easy i couldn't just go to it make the edit click export and upload so we designed the software okay Uh, it's kind of like we built the engine now we're actually building the car around it okay so that's what i mean by this we designed it with this idea that authors will one day be able to go to one software and do it all okay and i know that sounds crazy uh, but one of the ways that I believe that we can do that is even if you don't like the way we do outlining, cause let's face it, there's like 50 different ways to do that. Yeah. Um, and some authors are hardcore about it. We're designing it where our outliner will work with other plotting software. You know, you'll be able to integrate with plotter or things like that. Um, and so therefore you can pull in your plotter data into Atticus, be able to look at it as you're writing in Atticus, and then you'll be able to collaborate with your editors in Atticus without having to leave it. And then you can format the same document and you can manage everything there. Now imagine one year later, you want to go update the book. Well, a cool thing is you just open up your Atticus, click on said book, 
make said change and just click export because all the formatting's already there, everything's saved and you're good to go. And so that is exactly what the vision of this software is, is because I've hated having to pay for three different softwares, have seven different versions, and honestly not be able to make a adjustment or an edit uh, with a couple of clicks of a button. Instead, it feels like an entire day's worth of evolution just to update my book because of a mistake. So yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, dude, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really exciting because I'm, I'm very minimalistic and would like, I love the idea of just being able to have one piece of software do everything. I mean, like, like you mentioned, one of my biggest things is when I go back to do, when I have to, like, if someone finds a typo, like, do I go back to the word file and fix it and then re-import it into Vellum or do I go into Vellum? And cause it's not like, I don't really like using their search tool as much. And do I mm -hmm. fix it there? Like, and then what happens later if I need that word file for, to move it to another formatting? Like, it's just kind of like the idea of having everything in one place and being able to use it on any device, you know, which like, again, I'm not a user now. So, but is it, is part of it too going to be like in the cloud where you could like pull it up on an iPad or like on a laptop or whatever? Yeah. So we designed this with uh, using something called a PWA, which is a progressive web app. Okay. And it's sort of like the best of both worlds. Uh, it's a downloadable software that's also uh, on the cloud as well. Um, and so I can download Atticus onto my computer. I can then take it and I can go off into the woods and still use it. Okay. Um, the key is, is that I can do those things. The only thing I need to do is make sure I've logged in. Okay. Um, cause I need internet for that. And I believe right now we have it set that you only need to be connected to export the EPUB. Okay. Um, and that's it. So I can go off. And by the way, we have the writing capability and the formatting capability right now. We're coming out with collaboration. When we come out with collaboration in order to collaborate, you'll need internet. But that being said, though, is you can still work on your book without internet connection. You can do all the things. Um, but what's really awesome is, is that you can also pull out your phone. You can pull out your iPad. You can go log into Aunt Gertie's, uh, you know, computer and start working on your books right there as well. Um, and so this allows authors to be able to be on the go, use any of their, their computers to be able to write, collaborate, you know, when collaboration comes out and format their books from wherever and whatever. That's awesome. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's and one other thing that I really love that you brought up was, I mean, obviously this is a work in progress. I'm sure you guys have a roadmap and everything of where you see it's going to go. Cause like one of the things I hear the most and I'm, and, uh, this comes up a lot in Jay Thorne's master, like his, uh, his community he's in is like, so I, I don't think a lot of people understood that your initial, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I gathered this from what you said, like initially you just, you really focus on the formatting. Mm -hmm. Like I think everyone, it, and because that was probably the biggest need you saw, oh, well, Vellum is really take is, is and, and Vellum is a great software. Like you said, like, and, it is, and I love the Brad's like the, they're, they're great guys, but like, they're never, those guys came from Pixar. They're like mm -hmm. never going to do anything on PC. So um, you saw that need initially, yep. but I think that what, and I've had to kind of like slow some people down, other writers down and be like, Hey, like that was it. Like, cause they're, they're like, well, it's not a Scrivener replacement yet. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be. <laughs> yep, that's the key. Yeah. We want to phase one is, uh, is formatting phase two is writing and phase three is collaboration. The bet another way of changing those names is, 
phase one is better than vellum phase two is better than scrivener phase three is google docs you know yeah. uh and and so that's that's and the key is there's a lot of things to do like we want to make sure that we have these certain features but you know we also want to take care of some of the areas that have it and even when my programming team pivots to really focusing on you know building out the components of writing we're still going to have some of our programming team working continuously on formatting to improve and add etc so it's not like we're like done moving on like no it, it's one of those things where it, it's a very comp complex uh system and we just want to make sure that we do it right. And we, if we systematically go through that, where we systematically step from, you know, here you go, here is, you know, what we think is the best in the industry on formatting, which we're not there yet, but I think we're, we're getting there really close. Like, yeah. like, I don't know, month or two uh, with the speed that we're going. Um, and then next we become like, Hey, it's got all the things writers need and it's easier to use than Scrivener then bam, we can hit that mark. Uh, and then we can move on, like I said, but my take on it though, is it's just making sure that you're very intentional and that you're listening to the users. And the other thing too, and by the way, this is another thing that I use when designing software is that um, sometimes simplicity is better than capability. Yeah. And so like, for example, one of the things I do think that hurts Scrivener is that it has so many things that it can do yeah. that it becomes so burdensome to remember all the things. It's like, I, I remember once doing an entire system on like this, it wasn't tagging, it was something else. And I remember thinking, oh, that would be neat. I never use it. No, I yeah, I, I don't either. But it's like yeah. this it's this giant section that they have. And I'm like, I, I don't get why that's there. Like, why not put something that, that I actually use? And so that's the key is we've, we want to work with our authors and verify what are they using? What do they find most useful? And how do we get those things to be easier uh, or in, you know, in front of them more? And so that's the key. We're being very intentional about each one of those steps so that we're not kind of, you know, a puzzle with missing, you know, with like 12 missing pieces. Yeah. Now, now Atticus, now, like one question I did have, and this is just for me personally, like you're, you're, you're kind of selling me on it. So like <laughs> one, uh, what, one, one big question I had was, um, related to the writing is, can you like, can I have my entire book series and one Atticus file, like, and just be, cause like, so the way I use Scrivener is I will keep my current book that I'm working on in you know, the manuscript folder, but then I will put, I have other folders with the previous manuscript. So I have my whole series in one file. Mm -hmm. Like um, I, I can do that in Atticus. Yeah. So on our home screen, uh, when you go to upload a book, you can group them apart as a part of a project. Okay. Um, and so that way, what's really cool is we've designed it with like big publishing companies in mind because you can search by author by project name. So again, your series, uh, and you can click buttons just to group them and quickly see them that way. And you can access it. Another thing that's really cool, uh, that we've designed too, is that you can create template pages, right? Mm. So say, for example, you have your also buy page, which is a list of all your books. Uh, if you use that template in a book, okay. Say you've used that template like five times, then you go to create your sixth book and you bring that template in and you update it. 
the best part is Atticus will ask you immediately like, hey, you've used this on these other six books. Would you like us to up automatically update it in those other six books? And if you click yes, boom, they're all updated. That's um, awesome. Same thing with your author bio page, your copyright page, or any of those kind of pages that you like to use, you know, um, more than once. You can just create that template, apply it to the certain books. And voila. Nice. And yeah. do you, um, as far as like, you know, Scrivener obviously backs up with drop, like you can use Dropbox or whatever. Do you like, do you guys have your own like cloud type thing or does it connect to other cloud services? Yeah. So our cloud system is, is a part of it. Um, okay. So that's automatic. That being said, though, one of the things that we will be coming out is the ability for somebody to say, hey, cool, I like your, your guys' cloud system, but I also want to manually back it up. Um, yeah. You can click and manually back up to a spot, but I want it to automatically do it. So that you, so when you go to work in Atticus, you just say, you tell it, hey, if I'm on this computer, I want you to automatically back up in this spot you know, this certain number of times. And so it will just override the previous one. And so that way you just have the best of both worlds because that way, hey, if you spill wine on your laptop, not that that's ever happened before, <laughs> wink, wink, um, you don't lose your book, you know, because it's also on the cloud. But it's also just good to know that you have a backup copying, you know, just in case. Yeah, it's always good to be able to be just like thorough and have, yeah. many especially with stuff like books, you know, so. Yep. Yep. But uh, and, yeah, it do. It sounds awesome. And, and like I said, I keep, uh, you know, whenever I see those things, I'm just like, dude, trust Dave. It's going to his him and his team. It's going to, it's only going to keep getting better. So yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, that's the thing is, is as an author myself, I'm just, you know, I mean, it's, it's been my personal dream for the longest time to be able to have this kind of capability. Uh, I'm a minimalist. I don't like all the different software. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's fun being an author who has his own programming team. <laughs> You're like, wouldn't it be nice if, hey guys, let's go do that. That's great. Do, do you think at any point, and maybe this isn't a question you can answer, do you think that KDP Rocket is going to remain its own thing or will it get migrated in there where you could just do all your marketing and, and book made, metadata stuff in there too? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think so because there's two, two parts to that. Number one is... Um, when it comes to marketing the book, I think that's like a completely step, a yeah. different step. It's sort of like an external component. That's true. Um, yeah, maybe that there sense. could be something that would analyze the inside of the book for something, but I just feel like that would be uh, not as useful um, yeah. because, you, you know, you might find some generic words. It, it's really hard to depict out of the, say, 100,000 words, which ones actually are the type, are the words inside your book that shoppers would use when shopping for the book. Um, so I don't think that would work. The other thing too, is, is that they're two different companies. So they might not, it might be really hard to have them merge together. Oh, uh, okay. I, okay. I was thinking it was all one. Uh, that makes sense. Okay. And, and I think you said it too, like Atticus is more just for like, this is how you can create the whole thing and get ready for market. And then you've got, uh, publisher rocket. I'm going to say it right this time yeah. uh, to, to do everything else, to do all the after stuff. So that's, yeah, uh, I think, I think that's a really good kind of way of looking at it. It's kind of a nice one, two punch uh, in that respect. So now uh, are you, you mentioned like as a writer yourself, I mean, do you are, how, like, how are you still writing? Like, do you, do you write fiction, nonfiction? 
Yeah, I've done a bit of fiction, a lot of nonfiction. Um, I haven't written as much as I would have liked over the past year. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot. Like, so just as a heads up, I, I run seven different companies. Um, yeah, there's that's that'd be hard to find time to write. <laughs> yeah, well, and a lot of them require a lot of writing, um, mm-hmm. just more on the on online side. Uh, so I'd really like to get back into that, uh, especially in the fiction side. But um, mm, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> so, so on that, um, I'm curious. Like, so you said um, you you said that when you were starting the company before you were you know you were stations. So obviously, you were still working a full time job at the time. I would say one of the biggest questions that I have gotten when I'm talking to other authors and stuff I love talking about on here is, uh, and and honestly, the reason I started this podcast was like, how do you make time with all the other responsibilities? Mm. Like being a parent, I mean, like, so you were starting a company, you know, you were stationed, you obviously are a dad, a husband, all that stuff. So like, I don't know, like what is... I don't really know what I'm trying to ask. Cause I guess there's like, now you're on seven companies and a parent, like, I don't know, like what does a day look like and compared to what it used to. And I don't know, like, how do you balance your time? I guess. <laughs> well, so let's step back to when I had that full-time job, yeah. you know, I was working for the U S military. Uh, I had a crazy schedule. I also needed to be a dad. So how do you actually build a career on the side? Um, because the, and that was the thing was our, our goal was, to make enough money for my books to be able to get out of the military and not be risky because I have, I had kids and a wife that were depending on me, you know, to, to be able to support us financially. So I couldn't just jump out of the airplane and build the parachute on the way down. It's just not, not the way. Uh, But I want to start by pointing that out that we had a real goal that needed to happen. It wasn't some fluffy thing about, Oh man, I'd like more money. All right. And it was more and it wasn't some kind of thing about, oh, I just kind of want to be read. I, you know, I, I want to be a writer. Instead, I had something where I'm like, no, my family's depending on me. And, you know, and by transferring that from instead of just saying I want to make money to. I want this lifestyle, I want to be home with my kids, I want to, you know, no longer be traveling, you know, or going on deployments for the military. Uh, I want them to have opportunities. And then, so that's priority number one. And priority number two is, is the art and be able to write and enjoy and teach. So when I saw it like that, I was prepared to make sacrifices. And I think that's what I'm trying to drive to is, is that that difference was what helped me to separate the time. So what I would do every morning, Monday through Sunday, and I know this sounds crazy, but you have to understand, I d- defined what I needed to get done and what, what it was worth, okay? Uh, I'd get up at 4 a.m. every morning. And uh, I would get up at 4 a.m. And if I got up late, okay, I slept in, hit the sleep, you know, whatever, I wouldn't allow myself coffee. It was like so masochistic, but uh, I would make it where I couldn't have coffee. And so I'd get up at 4 a.m., and let me tell you, it gets super easy after you've done it for a couple of months. Like oh, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, you'll wake up at 4am on your own if you don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what's beautiful about 4am is this. Nobody's going to disturb you yep. because nobody else is up at 4am. And then your kids are up at 4am, uh, you know, except for the infants, you know, if you got infants then, which I did have one uh, at the time. Um, 
but yeah, nobody's going to get up. Nobody's going to ask you for something. Your wife's not going to come down and say, Hey, Dave, I need your help with this. Or, you know, can you do this? Um, nobody's on Facebook. Nobody's going to message you. Nobody emailed you more than likely with a great email between 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. So you didn't show up to your computer and immediately go down a rabbit hole and just get distracted or pulled in a different direction. You sat down with a good cup of coffee in your system and you had uninterrupted time from, I'll say 4.30 by the time you got your coffee in you and everything like that to, shall we say 6.30 where you, maybe you need to start preparing for work or seven, depending on what your schedule is like. Some people you know, can get ready and out the door by 8, 8.30. Um, but if you add that, Time seven, that's how many phenomenal hours you get to be able to put towards your career or trade or craft. And I did that for, I think, like four years uh, to really build out the career that allowed me to tell the military, thanks, but I'm making more money from my books. I'm out. Peace. And, uh, you know, since then, I've been able to be home full time with my kids enjoying. I love the fact that uh, at my kids' school, Friday mornings, they give presentations. And I'm like one of the only dads that's sitting in there, you know, at every presentation, you know, and just, I love it. So to recap on that, the key is you really need to know, you need to really think about what it's worth. What is it really that you're doing? It's not the money, it's the what. Uh, understand that. And then at that point, making the right sacrifices, if you will, uh, become a bit easier. And I would highly recommend the morning times because there's nobody who can really get in there. A lot of people try to save their work until like after work, you know, oh, I get home from work and, you know, I have dinner and, you know, to put the kids to bed. Now I'm going to go sit down. Well, you're tired. That's like the worst. Yeah. Time. You don't, you're not going to put a coffee in you right before you're supposed to go to bed. Your, your, your spouse might be requesting, you know, that you spend some time with them or watch a movie and who's going to say no to that new Netflix show. But at four in the morning, yeah, you're not watching Netflix and your spouse is not asking you to hang out with them at that time. <laughs> it's a golden time. I, I promise you. Yeah. Use that willpower early in the day, man. Like it's the same thing if, you know, uh, if you're working out, you know, it's it, people say, I'll do it after work. Now you're probably not going to do it after work yeah. after you've had a long day. Yeah. Nope. It's, it's funny, man. Your, your, uh, your viewpoint and your story on the whole thing is so similar to mine. Like, I saw so many 4 a.m.s, you know, to get to this point. And, you know, I, I was in a similar place to you where I like if, if you're doing it, if, if money is your goal, it, mm -hmm. that's such a like we all need money to live. But if you make that your your what your why or whatever, like mm -hmm. it's really hard. A lot of people don't ever stop to ask themselves, like, well, how much is enough? Right. You know, and, and it's, that's like something you could just keep on chasing, but like, I'm like you where I want to own my time. You know, yeah. it, it, it's funny. You brought up the thing about your Friday mornings. Cause I, the moment where I felt like I made it was when my, I, I'd been full-time, I guess for, I don't know, a year or two at that point. And there was like a donuts with dad thing at my daughter's preschool. And yeah. I was one of four dads that showed up. And all these other kids were crying. They were having to go to the office to call their dads, but I was there. I didn't have to miss it. And at that moment, I was like, man, I have made it. Like I, I am successful at this. As no, and there's no, you can't put a dollar sign on that. Right. You know? And, and I think that that, that really gets lost with a lot of people. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes there's sacrifices that come with that, you know, I mean, there's, yep. 
you waking up at 4 a.m., you know, not, not accumulating debt. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And, um, yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I totally get it, man, you know, and, and cause even in the beginning, like I, like I, I, I was kind of worried about the money aspect. And I remember I've told the story a million times, but I remember Joanna Penn, uh, I was sitting across from her to having dinner and she was drunk. <laughs> she won't care if I say this. And she just told me, she's like, no, you need to go home and quit your job. And I, she's like, it's way beyond time. And I was like, you're right. And that's what I did. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, but, uh, and I had a young kid at the time and everything. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but there's, but there's nothing like owning your time and, and being able to do whatever you want day to day. So exactly, exactly. You know. And then, and, and, for some of the, some of the listeners out there, maybe maybe you're not in that exact position, and so you know, really envision what you want your life to be, and then really think about how much it's worth. You know, um, I, I I absolutely believe that people who are able to put for two to three hours a day un, uninterrupted every day, seven days a week, there's no way you're not going to succeed in getting to where you want to go. Uh, Will it maybe take you longer than somebody else? Sure, might take it shorter. Um, and that's another thing I wanna I want to put out there is do not get into comparisonitis. Yeah, like I, it's the people who dabble in things that I think are destined to fail, or they get they win the lottery. Okay, but if you put your head down and you really work and strive towards that, it's just a matter of when, not if, and. Some people, like I said, just win the lottery. They they roll the dice and they, yeah, they roll a 20 on the first time, you know, like so be it. But um, a lot of people get discouraged when they see that, you know, that this person has only been, they've only written two books and, and now they're, you know, you know, international best-selling author, whatever. Okay. I also know some uber amazing people that, that are famous now that it took 20 books. And then you see one person who nails it on one. The, my point though is, is just don't get in comparisonitis. Um, put your head down, be devoted to it and think about why you're doing it and keep that as your goal. And I, I assure you, you'll get there. I totally agree, man. And that, that, that feels like a really good place to wrap this conversation. So I don't think I could say it better myself. So um, you, is, if there's anything you want to, you know, uh, promote, talk about, I mean, tell people where they could find Atticus, Publisher Rocket, all that good, whatever, you, this is your floor here. So. Yeah, well, if anybody has any questions about anything that I've said or uh, what have you, you can always go to Kindlepreneur uh, right at the bottom. I've got a contact page. Hit me up there. Let me know. Um, otherwise, you can find Atticus at atticus.io and there's publisherrocket.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll have all the links for that in the show notes and stuff. So, but uh, awesome. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll have to get together and have bourbon soon. <laughs> Oh, for sure. That sounds like a plan. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow Creator Dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator dad.